0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to chapter 19 of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up, and the ushers will be passing them out. Um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about something today that undoubtedly has affected or caused uh, pain in some way to pretty much every single person in this room, whether you have ex- personally experienced this or you have a family member or a friend that has experienced it. Our, our faithfulness to just our desire as a, as a, as a as a community, is just to continue to press into God's Word and to teach God's Word and not to jump from it. Even when we come to texts that are difficult and hard for us to to communicate about. And so as we work our way through Matthew, we come to a lot of things that honestly I I don't necessarily want to talk about because they're not fun, but I know that ultimately the Spirit of God is alive and active in every word of Scripture, so therefore we, we stay in it. So whether you've experienced the pain of this, or you've you have struggled through this, or you're in the middle of it right now, my encouragement would be wherever you are in this is just to to sit, kind of put in this and let let God do what He needs to do in, in you. Whether it's convict you or to, to encourage you or to to restore you, whatever it may be that God needs to do, just let Him and His Spirit do that to you here. Don't don't run or squirm and don't don't necessarily be afraid. There's a lot of school thought on this, and I don't presume to or. Even understand all of it. We're just going to share what we can about it, and and look to God's word for it, and let His Spirit do the work in us that needs to happen. And so, as we we look at the text, we're going to talk about this this difficult discussion of divorce. And so, some of you single people, you are in here. Like I'm not even married yet, but maybe you've been affected or experienced divorce in some way. And so, I want to talk about it. In fact, back in um, when I was in youth ministry a long time ago, we had this idea to do. Hey, we're going to do topics. We're going to just teach through topics, and, and we're going to let the kids pick what the topic is. And so we said, you guys, you students can can lay out what is the, the you or what are the two things you want to talk about, or the one thing you want to talk about. And we said, whatever we get the most of, that's what we'll spend time. And there are a lot of really really hard subjects to to dig on and kind of work through conversationally. But one of the the most difficult ones this day I remember was the most amount of fear and pain and and struggle and wrestling was this conversation this discussion of divorce and so I come in this knowing that um, God is good and he is faithful and so let's just look at his word and let him speak to us in the ways he needs to verse uh, verse 1 starting in chapter 19 now when Jesus had finished these sayings he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And so this is after he's finished kind of all of the teaching in Gal- Galilee, we knew in the transfiguration, if you worked your way back, that, that Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem to be crucified. I must go and do this. And so this is the beginning of that trek. This is the beginning of that, that walk as he goes on his way there. And so that's, that's what's happening. And we get from this story here that he's still continuing to heal people as he goes. He's continuing to do work on his trip there. And this is kind of one of those big questions that come at him in the middle of this walk here that the Pharisees, so this is a public setting, a bunch of people around, came up to him and tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, this is a, a funny question. And before we go further, I'm going to talk a little about it. The question, essentially what they're doing is, is, picture it this way, what they're coming up is they're saying, hey, Jesus, <clears throat> I don't like my wife. Can I, can I divorce her? That's, that's essentially the, the heart behind the question here. This is a predominantly patriarchal uh, society where, where man is the hub, the center. Not a value thing, but this is man is the, is the hub, and then every, the children and the women um, kind of fall under that. And so what happened is in that system being broken, what happened more and more is women and children got completely ostracized and, and waylaid and drummed, dropped and dumped and kind of just kicked the curb. And so it was very much a, a, a society where the man could do kind of whatever he wanted. He could do kind of how he wanted. In fact, in this time, some of the rabbis that had been teaching him, the majority of the teaching, had taken one verse, and we'll look at it in a second, out of Deuteronomy. They'd taken it out of control and kind of twisted it. And basically, they had taught that, that you could literally, there's, there's rabbis writings that we have, you could divorce your wife if she burnt your toast, okay? Some of your husbands like, Wait. Bad breakfast, I can do this? No, that's not. If you're looking for that, that was the, the teaching of the rabbis. It was essentially, it didn't matter what the cause was or what the point was or what the, the reason was, but essentially that you could, you could ultimately divorce for anything. And so this has gotten out of control. And in this day, in Jesus' day, they were, they were essentially, everyone kind of believed what the rabbis had been teaching about divorce is that it just, it, you can do it for any reason. And so the Pharisees are coming in with a, with a loaded question, going, OK, Jesus, and they're trying to pit him against, essentially, there's two schools of rabbis, one that was really, really loose, burnt toast, and one that was a little bit more rigid, but not even actually where Jesus goes today. And they're trying to align him with one or the other to try and bring more people into, 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 um, into opposition of him than just the religious leaders. And so that they pose this question, going, can I, for any reason, can we divorce our wife? Can I divorce my wife for any reason? In fact, if you think about it, that's not really far from where we are today, culturally, right? We've gotten to a point now where where we can divorce for anything, right? Because marriage is about us being happy. At least that's what we think. It's about what I want and what I get. And so therefore, if I don't like it, I can divorce. And this is the way that our society today believes it. We don't need any rabbis teaching that. The culture just tells us it's okay. Divorce is made so easy. And so it's, this, it's this, this belief that they could divorce for any reason that kind of comes into it. And this is how Jesus answers it. He doesn't actually line himself to either one of the, the schools of thought in that day. He does this. It's just brilliant what he does. So in, in verse 4, carrying on, he's, he answers them. Have you not read? Man, that is such an offensive statement to the Pharisees. Have you not read? The Pharisees prided themselves on knowing the scriptures. They prided themselves on understanding and, 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 under, and knowing everything. So Jesus is basically backhanding them right here. He's saying, have you not read? Like, what are, you, are you kidding me? Did you not understand the most basic scripture I'm about to go to, the very beginning of everything? Did you not get it? Are you missing it? So he says, have you not read? Backhand. OK, that's where that happens. Have you not read that, um, that the, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh whatever god has joined together let not man separate so what jesus does it's just brilliant he doesn't even he doesn't even answer their question about diverse, divorce he goes back to the to genesis the origin story the beginning and he says have you have you not do you not understand how this began have you have you missed the point of marriage altogether and so what he's doing is he's speaking into the heart behind the question, the, issue, the real issue, as opposed to this secondary thing they're doing. And what Jesus does is he comes down and he says, look, look do, you remember, do you remember how it began? Do you, do you, do you remember what, what, the, what the point of marriage was? See, my, my assumption is today that most of us, a lot of us, struggle to even remember what the point of us being married is. Singles in here, you're like, I just want to be married because the church has somehow told me that I'm not whole until then, or Jerry Maguire said that I need someone to complete me, right? So you're like, I'm just running after that. And some of you that are married right now, you're going, well, I don't really want to be married because I'm not happy. I'm not, I'm, I'm not happy. In fact, she's annoying, or he's annoying. He smells funny. He won't put the toilet seat down. How many times do I have to ask him, Right? And these, these things kind of work their way into us, and they start, start digging at us. And pretty soon, we're going, you know what? Yeah, I am entitled to a little bit of me time and my happiness and my joy. So we start pushing that onto our significant other, our spouse, and say, you start making me happy. Well, then they get offensive and be like, well, I'm not happy. And so it becomes this, this battle. And you guys, we, we've missed it. We believe the culture that marriage isn't valuable. Let me just real quickly tell you what marriage isn't. First off, marriage isn't what the state tells us it is or isn't, right? It isn't that. It never was. It was what God created in the beginning. We'll talk about that in a second. Marriage is not about acceptance. It is not about making you whole. It is not about identity. Marriage was was created by God in the original. Have you not read? Have you not understood? The very beginning, I made them male and female. I made them, and I consummated the marriage. I brought them together. I created them. When, when they created, you know, God said everything was good except for Adam. He said, this is not good. It's not good. Let us, the first picture we get of scripture of the, of the triune God, God the Father, Jesus, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, let us make him a helper. Let us. And so, so God had a chance to bring in community and value into this where he says, they, look, the, the point of marriage is to protect and to, and to procreate and to love. That's, that's what he did. So Jesus brought in a female. God brought in a female. The very beginning, he, he, he brought that together and said, this is what marriage is about. You know, Adam wasn't going, you know what, Eve? I'm kind of tired of the way you're cooking. You know, I'm going to leave you for snake bear. Oh, man, there's no one else. Oh, well. Like, there wasn't even an option of divorce, right? Like, it didn't have a, Adam didn't go, oh, I'm going to go out on the market and see what's out there. Well, those are my children. That's weird. You know, like, there was no, there was no room for it, right? He created it with the point of them being married, and God made them one. The idea of making them one flesh is, is, is the idea of coming together physically. It's one avenue of becoming one. And so he created marriage, and we, we think it's about happiness. You think about, it's about you being completed? If you, if you believe that your spouse is going to complete you, you're basically making them your God. And they're a crummy God. It's a horrible weight to put on your spouse. Marriage isn't about happiness. In fact, you know what? I think marriage is one step further beyond protection and and procreation and love. In fact, we actually get a really, really beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to be out of Ephesians 5. And if you've gone to Ephesians 5, you heard, if you've gone to a wedding, you've heard this text, right? And everyone's kind of talked about this thing. It's this idea of, OK, husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. Now, any smart, sane follower of Jesus would pause at that and go, whoa, 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 wait, what? So my love for Jen, my love for my wife has nothing to do about acceptance and everything to do about how I have to die for her. Like, wait, I have to deny myself for her? Because that's how Christ loved the church. In fact, he was faithful to the church, all the way to the cross, through the resurrection, so that you and I can be a part of it. And so as this whole stare. And then it comes back and talks about how women are to respect their husbands. It's this beautiful text. That at the beginning, start, starts with this idea of mutual submission out of reverence, out of beautiful fear of God in Jesus Christ. And then it ends in verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Did you hear that? He's talking about marriage. It refers to Christ and the church. It's almost like from the very beginning when God and Jesus, when they created man and woman, they had had the picture of the gospel in mind. So so, so when we say that we're married, again, single people, don't check out. You've got a role in this, okay? we talk about marriage, marriage is meant to be A portrayal of the gospel a tangible seeable purposeful view of the gospel where two people willingly lay themselves down because of their their reverential fear their awe of God who created them and their submission to him so marriage has nothing to do about happiness which some of you are like, amen, it's been 20 years this way, right? Like, I haven't been happy forever, I guess, and I'm in a biblical marriage. Well, yes, but okay, but you're missing the point. It's not about happiness. It's, in fact, it's a gospel. Now, here's why this is a big deal. When we lower the bar on marriage, when we start aligning ourselves to what the state says it is or what, what this divorced couple says it is, what we're doing is we are attacking the very gospel. We're saying that, you know what, Jesus didn't really Have to die he could have just been maimed for a while we're attacking the very thing Jesus this is a mystery this profound mystery that we won't fully understand all of it how it plays out we won't get it to its entirety right but ultimately the mystery is is that is that a relationship between a husband and a wife that was created at the very beginning the way that it was meant to be is, is a portrayal of the gospel it's a way for us to see the gospel in tangible ways. So when you look at a married couple and you see that they're fighting like crazy and one finally surrenders and says, I just, you know, I'm, I'm being selfish, forgive me. What you're seeing is how the gospel's played out in individual lives. Instead of my way, I want to be heard, I need to be heard, I need to be heard, I need to be heard, pound it in until you hear me. So no, I'm going to lay down my way because it's a self-denial. Marriage is about that. He goes on He says, so, so marriage isn't these lower standards that we put. Marriage is such a higher, higher standard than what we've at. That's what Jesus says. He says, you got to go back to the beginning. Do you think it was really meant to be the way it is right now? You're a part of a broken system. You're, you're the, this system is the reason why I'm on Earth right now, about to be crucified, working my way to Jerusalem, so that we can redeem that which is lost and you're trying to figure out how to, to work in the system, it's kind of like, like this. We have reasons to get divorced. If you ever, you know, you buy a, a weed eater or something that could actually maim someone, right? And they have this thing like, you know, on plum liquid, here we go, bleach, on the back it says, if poison call such and such number. They put on this like, hey, this is what's supposed to happen. That's not a command to, hey, try being poisoned. Right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a, an option of, oh, okay, well, since it's telling me how to do what I need to do if I am poisoned, well, let's go ahead and start drinking it and see what happens. And that's essentially what these Pharisees are doing. They're taking what God had spoken in Deuteronomy, which we'll get to in just a second here, and they're using that as a command to move forward in their, their way, their selfish way. This is just, it's a classic example of natural man looking for moral or spiritual loopholes to accommodate their sin. Right? right, we're just, we're just looking for a way to get around our sin. And that's what they're doing here. And so in chapter, in verse 7, he goes on. It says, so then, then they, they say to him, so my assumption is they kind of had this idea coming up. Like, hey, wait a minute. If he says there's no divorce, this is kind of the real question that they had. First one was kind of the teeing him up, which, which is comical. How many times are these Pharisees <laughs> Get like leave with their tail between their legs, beat up by Jesus, like totally wrong. They just keep going. You gotta commend them, I guess, for their resilience. I don't know, stupidity, whatever you want to call it. So, verse seven, they said to him, "Well, then, why did? Okay, you're saying that that since the beginning, the purpose and the intent was that marriage stayed the way it was, that they were they were together. God had joined them, let no no man separate. Okay, then, then why, why smart man, did Jesus? Why did Moses? command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus says to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, see what he did there? He changed the word. They say, why did Moses command? He commanded us to give a certificate of divorce. It's a command, and that's the way they were viewing it. You must, in fact, they were saying, you know what, you're kind of doing what God calls you to by divorcing people. Like, this is a command. Let's just do it. Do it right. Yeah, yeah, you you, you know, the warnings are there, and there's steps to take if something happens. But they're just basically going right into it, going, well, then we must be doing it. The car says it can tip over. I should try and tip it over. See what happens. Like that, that's what they're doing. He says, no, no, no. Your hard-heartedness is why God allowed, he uses the word allowed, allowed you to divorce your wives. But, and he goes back, but from the beginning it was not so. He goes right back to you. he's like, "But from the beginning this isn't it you're, you're focused on what you can do in this broken system and I have something so much better, so much bigger than what you're looking at from the beginning it was not so and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and so what these what these what these Pharisees are doing is they're, they're they're, they're speaking out of the culture that they were in where the rabbis had taught that they could divorce for any reason. And they're trying to justify a reason to leave their spouse, to leave their wife. And they're just trying to, this is, this is the way it is. If I can just find that loophole. So Jesus gives them the loophole at the end. Hey, the only, the only way is this sexual immorality, this infidelity, this, this adultery that happens. There's, there's so much talk, and the church is going to divide itself across what that word pornea actually means. Does it mean, like, like, all the way down to just lusting in your eyes, or is it actually the act of sex? Is it something in between? Like, we're not going to talk about that. I think it's, I, th- I feel like it's a little bit more extreme than just a lust, although God does talk very specifically about lust. So men or women, if you are struck, stuck in the passions of lust, can confess, repent, and turn. But he's saying, here's the one reason. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul gives us one more reason why you can divorce. He kind of loosens it a little bit from there. He says, if an unbelieving spouse tries to leave a believing husband or a believing wife, well, then obviously you, you let them go. So someone who does not profess the faith in Jesus, you let them go. Now, that being said, Peter, the apostle Peter, tells us how a wife can win her husband for the Lord by the way she conducts herself. So even that loophole, the point isn't to let to oh well good now I can get out. The point is no 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 you get it. And we've seen this. I've seen this where two two people don't believe in Jesus. One gets their life surrendered to Christ and they're they're all in. And we begin praying for their significant other. And we've had we've had I've baptized we baptized three couples here where the unbelieving spouse has come to faith. Like persistence of these, these 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 wives these husbands just praying and praying and praying. So even that out clause that Paul gives, is, is not even, it's like, yeah, that could happen. Let them go if they decide to go. But, but you know what shows the gospel even better? By your conduct, by the way you serve, by the way you love, by the way you deny yourself. You could win this person to the Lord. You could help be what they see. And wow, this doesn't make sense. Why are you treating me this way? I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because of what Christ did for me. So they're, they're, they're taking this law, and it's out of Deuteronomy 24. So they're, they're basically saying, well, why did Moses command? The only Old Testament scripture that actually talks about the specific law of divorce and how it works. There's other Old Testament scriptures that talk about it, but this is it. It says, when a man takes his, a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency. Now, indecency is the word that people are struggling with. In her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the, his house and she departs out of his house. And then it goes on to say, well, she marries someone else and then he does it. That first person can't remarry her. And it's like this whole, here's where it is. Deuteronomy is the second law, right? It's the bringing in of the law in place. And Jesus says, no, no, you just said command. And this, was, this all began with if, if. Now, indecency is immorality. Some kind of word in the Old Testament, the offense or the the the, the payment for, for an adultery was was death. So if you if you committed adultery, it was you're dead. And so this is this is God through Moses extending grace, saying, look look. Before it was death, but now because of your heart, because where you're at, I, like. I'm going to extend grace. I'm going to allow you to do a certificate of divorce. And the other reason why this was in place is it was to protect the women. Because what would happen is men would just divorce their wives, leave them, and then go marry someone else. But then if they wanted them back, they'd come back. and be like, You have to be with me because we're not divorced. And so it was a protection of, hey, they, they, it's been divorced. This is why it's happened. It's done. So this was all a part of a broken system that was instituted because of broken people. And Jesus says, yeah, this is what it is, but again, I tell you, this was not what it's meant to be from the beginning. You're trying to figure out how to live in this broken system, and I'm telling you, I've got a better way. I've got a better way, a way that that doesn't make sense to you in light of this. I got a better way. So he says that the, the one way you can divorce is through through sexual infidelity or, or, or adultery or you can divorce if it's an unbelieving with the believing but that's really where then the the school of scholars love to divide on well then what applies to remarriage what do we what do we do in that setting and and i i want to i want to take us to an old testament um book real quick just because i feel like a lot of times if we have an out clause we're looking for an out clause and so some of you might be going right now Well, okay he said or she said she's not a believer, so maybe I should just be really, really p- a pain in the, in the neck and hopefully she'll leave or he'll leave at some point. And whew, I'm free to go. Wrong heart. That's like coming to Jesus and saying, okay, so how, what do I need to do to divorce? As opposed to, hey, hey Christ, what needs to happen in me so that I stay true and pure to all that you've commanded of me? What needs to happen in me so that I can display more of what your gospel looks like to this person, to that person? In Hosea, we, the book of Hosea talks about um, it's it's a it's a beautiful picture of, of Israel and their, their total like failure to follow God's laws and their, their abandonment of what he's doing. And so this it's just this dark, ugly kind of place that essence God kind of equates Hosea as the people the people of Israel as as they've been adulterous to God. They've they've gone to other idols. Right? They they've run from God's ways and they're doing something. And I can't help but think, like looking at the landscape today, I feel like there's a lot of adulterous people when it comes to the to, comes to God. People that have, say they follow Jesus are in this, but they're just walking with idols and false idols, and they're, they're, they're living this adulterous lifestyle. They aren't, they aren't being faithful to the God who created them, that restored them in Jesus Christ. And so it's a story. So at the very beginning, at Hosea chapter one, verse two, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord." I didn't know I'd say that word that many times in the church, but. There you go, there it is, right? It's in the Bible. So so he's saying, essentially he's saying, okay, Hosea, you need to go take yourself a wife, but but everyone you're gonna take, just so you know, they've they've sold themselves out. They're following false gods, they've 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 given up on me. So you need to you need to find that wife. You need to you need to take that wife and you need to have children with that wife. And so we, we get further on, basically God's saying, Hosea I want you to marry a prostitute, and I want you to have children with this prostitute. That's essentially what God's calling him to do. And we see in the story, as it goes a little bit further, that, that Hosea doesn't just go like, willingly and say, OK, well, this is what God wants of me, so I do it, and kind of begrudgingly, well, OK, you're going to be married. Actually, we see that God puts in him, puts into Hosea's heart to love, pursue, and be ferociously committed to this woman, Gomer. I mean, ferociously committed. So it's not just some like, OK, I'll do this willingly. Like he, he's in love with Gomer. And so he marries Gomer, despite his, his love and his care and his, his way to f- help her flourish and all these beautiful things that he does for her, she keeps cheating on him. She keeps leaving him. And he keeps taking her back, keeps taking her back, so much so that at one point, he actually has to find her at a slave trade where she's being sold because she's just useless in regards to everyone else that she's been used by. And you know what he does? He buys her. He buys her back and says, I, I want my wife, the mother of my children, I want that one back. You know what God is doing is he's laying out a picture of his love towards me and you. See, and and for most of us, the justice side is like, whoa, whoa, there's been infidelity, there's been been an affair, this is is ugly, I'm out. And God's saying, well, I'm in. Your lack of faithfulness does not get in the way of how faithful I am. He's he's making, he's, he's, he's displaying his covenant with his people, those that have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you say, I'm in covenant relationship with you. Despite your unfaithfulness, I will continue to be faithful to you. Despite your failures, your running, your pushing away, I will push in to you further and further and further. So every picture we have of marriage when God's speaking is one of self-denial, one of ridiculous forgiveness, of amazing grace and hope. It's not one of, it's about me. I give up. I need to be happy. It just isn't working out. Like, praise God that he didn't say that about me, right? Brent, I tried to give you grace, but you're pretty hard. I'm done. No, he continues to push in. And see, so this is why the the question of divorce is is silly. Because you're, you're looking for a way out, which was never the way it was intended to be. So yeah, maybe maybe you've been in a hard spot. Maybe you're struggling right now and there's been some legitimate hurts and wrongs done to you. God's best for you is still to remain in marriage because that's what God did for you. You're, you're never too broken for him. Do you realize that? You're never outside of his reach. He continues to extend that grace to you Despite your shortcomings, so granted, this is a picture of what it looks like in marriage. Now, singles, I want to talk to you for a second. Um, if you're if you're in here and you're you're waiting to live your life, because you're like, man, I just I really I know Jesus, he's awesome, but I can't really do ministry. I can't really do this because I'm not complete until. He brings this man or he brings this woman to my life. You've, you've missed the whole gospel. He is he's ferociously chasing after you and desiring to do what he's created you to do right now today. The church has done a poor job of telling you that you are some second class citizen because you're not married yet. That's not true. So c- Christian, follower of Jesus, if you're in here and you're like, man, this guy is so good looking, but he doesn't love Jesus, but I'm just gonna date him anyways because maybe he'll come to Christ. like, don't, no, that's, that's you going around God's ways to try and make something happen. Yes, God can redeem that, but you don't have to date him to redeem him, just in case you're wondering. Hey, you're, you're, you're a part of the church. You're, you're the bride of Christ as an individual. You don't need to be married. So then Jesus goes on. He says in, in verse 10, The disciples said to him and this is i love this response because the disciples come out and they're like man and this is this is good this is for you single people man that's a hard truth jesus right the disciples will hear this and that we we get from the gospel mark that they've entered into a home so they're in private now and they they the disciples said to him if if such is the case of a man with his wife it is better not to marry (laughs) this is how it's supposed to be jesus i'm out that's really hard Right, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. That's, it's better to just not marry because, and I don't think, I really don't think the question for the disciples was that they were hoping to marry with the option of divorce. But in essence, that's kind of what they're saying. Wait, 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 wait. So if I marry her and it doesn't really seem to be working out or she burns my toast, I'm, I'm in? I'm in for the long haul? I, it's probably better not to marry. And Jesus just engages that question. I love this. He just kind of, OK, well, let's enter into that conversation. And he says, but he said to them, "Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given." And he goes on. He says, "For there are eunuchs who have been bo- who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made by eunuchs or made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. If you can receive this, then receive it." So what he does, he talks about eunuchs. Now, eunuchs are, are people that were unable to. Um, have sex. They were, they were made be, be a birth deformity or without or whatever. They were in a spot where they could not actually physically have sex. And so he's saying, some were born that way. And this is their, this is their call in their life. They're called to be mar- not married. They're, they're called to stay single. And then he goes on and says, some were made eunuchs. Now, this is a hard thing for us in our day to understand. But essentially, they would, there was a, a fairly common practice of um, slave owners to castrate their, their, their slaves at times to keep from having to deal with them impregnating or dealing with some of those. Also, if people were watching over harems or they are in garden, that it was common to cut them there. If they were an official, kind of a government official, that was a common thing too. And then there were also ancient gods that kind of taught that that was a thing to do with your sons. And so there were those that were castrated. There were those that were made eunuchs. And for them, again, it's, it's a single life. It's a single life. It's better not to marry in this way. And then he goes to this third group. He says, but then there are those who made themselves. Now, he's not talking about physical castration here. He's saying those that have committed themselves to the kingdom of God and his purposes, and therefore they have chosen this life of singleness. The apostle Paul talks about this too, and he says it's better to not marry, actually, because you're not distracted from the gospel, which is a weird thing to think about, right? But he says, but if if you burn with lust, then marry so you don't continue to do so. And so he says it. And we see, look, if you're single right now, you're like, man, I don't think I can do much as a single person. The very person you're following is Jesus Christ. He was single. I think he accomplished a little bit. Just a little. So he's saying, look, some of you, yeah, you know what, you, you are meant to be single. I have friends that are they're, they're getting older and they're like, man, I'm not married. And, and some of them, like, I've wanted to be married. One of them the other day was asking, like, maybe I'm, I'm supposed to just be single. And that is a, that is a hard calling, but he's saying, look, there is a calling of that. And it's not any more glorifying or glamorous than, than being married. Both are meant to glorify God in a beautiful way. But you, you should be more fixated on how you live the gospel than who you're marrying. And so he goes on to say, look, some of you, some of you ah, this is a hard truth. In fact, Jesus did this very often, right? He took the bar that we had and said, no, 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 no. It's up here. You just, you've you, you got it wrong, guys. I know you get it right here, and that's great, but I, I never meant for the bar to be this low. Have you not heard from the beginning? It was never meant to be here. It's here. I don't care what your government says. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what kind of excuse you're looking for to live in this way. My bar's here. There's a better way to live than this. God is continuing to push us to a higher standard. Jesus illuminates this. says there's a better, better way. He says it doesn't have to go this way. The hope of the cross is is, is an amazing thing. And and when you're surrendered to that, you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, which means you follow his ways. Well, here's his way, guys. Now, some of you, you've been, people have used texts in the Bible to just beat the snot out of you when it comes to this stuff. You've struggled, and you're like, man, I, I, we're in divorce. I, like, I'm struggling with divorce. And you're just, you're just beat up. I, I just want to remind you one thing. First off, this person that's speaking in Matthew is Jesus right here. The other verse, Matthew 5, 31 and 32, where he speaks about it, it's Jesus again. And just in case you're wondering who Jesus was, Jesus was the one that can say this and then willingly walked himself to the cross for your abandonment and rebellion and sin, so you could be in right standing with Him. So He says, "Look, look, look! The bar's so high. You're right. You're, you're, it's, it's high. I'm going I'm to go ahead and I'm going to die for you. I'm going I'm to be crucified so that you can be in this spot. Because left on your own, it, it's, it's hopeless." There is a standard. And so maybe some of you, you're in the process of divorce, or you've been divorced, or you're, you're engaged to get married to someone that you think completes you or accepts you for who you are, whatever it may be. I, I want to I wanna just push into you and say that no matter where you are in this, if you've, if you've done the hard work of, of remained in a marriage that is just, I mean, so difficult, press on. I don't, think, I don't think Jesus is saying, well, you know what, you did a hard work for a while, now give up. He's saying, no, 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 no. I have a better way all the way around for you. Those of you, maybe you're in a spot where you're like, man, divorce has happened. I, I, I would challenge you to pray for restoration. And I know that's weird to think like, whoa, whoa, wait, what are, you, what are you talking about? But God can redeem everything. Look at the story of Hosea and Gomer. I don't think there's any one of us that would be willing to go buy our spouse back after all of that. But that's God's love for us. He so said, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to ferociously chase after you. If you're a single person and you're, and you're, you're dating someone and you're trying to, to make this thing work into marriage and, and they don't know who Jesus is and you're just thinking, oh, by dating them, I'll do this. I'm, I'm telling you, you're, it's a long, hard road and there is no guarantee of the outcome. If you're, if you're battling with your spouse and you're just fighting, 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 I would encourage you to fight more because you'll fight for what's valuable. And just in case you didn't get this today, the value that's put on marriage in our society today is not the value that God has on it. The value that's, that's, that's lowered the bar down here so is such an attainable thing. It's, it's not there. It was never intended to be there. And some of you, you've been beaten up by people in my position about divorce. You've been told that you're You're hated and that God hates divorce, which it says in Malachi 2.16. God God is about redeeming and restoring. No one is too broken for the cross. So I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care how far you've, you've, you've worked your way down. I don't care how unfaithful you are. You are not out of His reach. So turn. Turn from that way. Turn to the God that loves you. The redeems, that restores. Allow him to work in you. His grace is sufficient for all this. Lance and the, the rest of you guys are going to come up. I was going to worship some more. Nobody, and certainly not Jesus, ever said that following him and his kingdom ways were going to be easy. So some of you young married you're like, man, this is a lot harder than I thought it was. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of how it works. Even the disciples fell into that trap over and over again. I want an easier way. I want an easier way. I want an easier way. The fact that divorce is possible did not mean that it was to be sought. Rather, it was to, was to be seen as a desperate last resort, every effort made to restore and save the marriage. And so I would encourage you, maybe you, some of you college students, like your parents are going through this right now. And you're just wrestling with it. You're like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to, like, m- maybe God has you here, has you in this position to speak and breathe life into them. Maybe as weird as it seems to come to your parents and say, look, I think God has a better way than the way you're going. They may say, you have no idea what you're going through. You're right. I don't. But I know what God's word's telling you. Like, stay surrendered to Christ in your life. Allow him to redeem that which seems unredeemable because that's what He does. Don't run when it gets hard. That's not, that's not the way of Jesus. In fact, it's hard all the time. I pray, Heavenly Father, I pray specifically for the singles in the room, maybe those that are engaged, those that are dating, those that are considering marriage or desiring to be married. God, I pray that you would restore in them a right understanding of what marriage is. It's not, uh, it's not about their happiness. It's about laying our life down for the purpose of the gospel. God, I pray that you would help every single person in this room know more of what it means to be single and to be loved by you and to know that, that help them to have the confidence to know that you know exactly where they are you know exactly what you created them for and you are moving in a mighty way for those that are surrendered to you God for the for the the married people people that are just married and maybe they're at the point where they keep finding themselves a little bit frustrated or or struggling or they're fighting with their their, their wife or their husband because they they believe like that they believe that they are not happy or that they owe them something. God, would you break us down of our pride? Help us to enter into the covenant the way that you called us to, which is self-denial. Others first. God, for those that have broken marriages, they've walked the, the, the hard and difficult path of divorce, God, would you bring to them your restoration? Would you help them to, to, to see your faithfulness? Whether it was adultery or someone walked out on them, God, would you help them to see that you are not done. Divorce does not have to be the end of the story. God, we are not known by anything or sin. We do, we are known if we are surrendered to you as an adopted child of you. Our identity is sealed in Christ and Christ alone. So I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work. You would redeem that which seems so lost in our culture you'd redeem marriage and you'd start by the individual marriages that that are represented in this room where every single one of us would say i need help help me figure out how to love my wife help me figure out how to to be less prideful help me to understand more of what the gospel means in this marriage Where, where we'd be postured in a way of humility where we could experience so much of your grace and god for those that have been hurt by the church been hurt by your bride God, i pray that they would um Know that the individuals, that your bride is made up of individuals that are broken, sinful, or struggling, and that forgiveness is ultimately where you're gonna bring redemption. So I pray that you'd bring about restoration and forgiveness in the hearts of everyone that's been hurt by this. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.